Good morning. There are over three dozen miracles of Jesus described in the four gospel accounts of his life. Yet only one of those miracles is discussed in all the gospels. Obviously, this one miracle had a huge impact on all of the disciples. And it's the miracle that we are going to discuss today. The feeding of 5,000 men. It is a miracle in which Jesus tests his disciples. Jesus asks them to do what seems impossible. And then he empowers them to do it. Now this miracle has special significance to Gwen and myself. About the second time we were going to Malawi, Africa on a mission trip, Gwen was having feelings of great inadequacy, and to be honest, I was as well. She and I both wondered whether we could do much good there when we got to Africa, because first, we don't speak the native language of Chichewa, so we always needed interpreters. Second, the email communications with Africa had been kind of sketchy, and so we weren't very clear about what we, were, what we could or were supposed to teach on once we got there. Three, uh, airfares had, had gone up from the previous year, and the trip was going to be very expensive. And fourth, I realized I was going to have to use all of my remaining vacation time at work to make time available for the trip. And we could think of a lot of reasons why, well, maybe we shouldn't go to Malawi this year. But Gwen was in the middle of a Bible study that was discussing today's passage. And as she was considering her anxieties, about our upcoming trip to Malawi, Africa, she heard God's voice softly telling her, Give me your loaves and fish, and I will multiply them. Give me your loaves and fish, and I will multiply them. So, listening to that voice, we decided to go ahead with our trip, despite our feelings of inadequacy. And God greatly blessed our obedience to him on that trip. We spent two days for the first time with over 70 village chiefs and their wives teaching about and sharing the gospel. And each one of those chiefs significantly influences the lives of one to 300 people in their respective villages. And then also as we were waiting to go on a chief's ministry, we made contact with the Presbyterian Seminary by, quote, accident. And we developed a marriage teaching for Presbyterian seminary students who would multiply our teaching by taking it to their congregations, each with three to 5,000 people. And we found new ways to teach and encourage the native Malawans as they devote themselves full-time to evangelism and discipleship. So the question I'm going to ask you today is, has God challenged you to serve him in some way that seems impossible. If so, the message today is for you because we meet the disciples of Jesus in a similar situation. And the lesson we learn is this. The way to accomplish the impossible task God gives us is to make whatever resources you have available to him and let him make them sufficient for the task. I'll repeat this many times. The way to accomplish the impossible task that God gives us is to make whatever resources we have available to him and then let him make those resources sufficient for the task.
So our setting, our passage today is from the Gospel of Mark. The church fathers tell us that John Mark gathered his material primarily from the Apostle Peter. The miracle occurs shortly after the twelve apostles returned from their very first missionary trip. Mark 6 tells us that the disciples, under Jesus' command, had gone out in pairs with no money, no food. Yet God had provided for them on that trip and empowered them to cast out demons, heal the sick, and spread the gospel of repentance. So let's start our reading. That's the background to this passage. If you have your Black Pew Bibles, it's page 841, 841, Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30 through 34. Mark chapter 6, 30 through 34. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Keep your finger there, but let's pause for a moment and think about what's happened. Here we see that Jesus is showing great compassion. First, he's showing compassion to his disciples. They've returned from a grueling missionary trip, and they need rest. But he has compassion on them. Let's find a place to give them rest. But he also has compassion for the crowd. The crowd, they can't escape the crowd, and the crowd follows them. And and he decides to feed them with the word of God. He begins to teach them. The parallel account in Matthew tells us that not only was he teaching them, that he also tells us he also was healing them. So he's teaching and healing this crowd that he had wanted to avoid because he's a compassionate person. Now Jesus demonstrates in this that he is the good shepherd who gives who cares for his sheep. John 10 verse 11. Now we're going to read on in this Description of the miracle. And as we read, I want you to notice four things that happen in the narrative. Four things. The first thing is that Jesus commands the disciples to do the impossible. Jesus commands the disciples to do the impossible. Number two, the disciples reply, we can't do it. We can't do what you've asked us to do. Number three. Jesus tells the disciples to bring him what little they do have. And number four, Jesus multiplies what little the disciples have so that the task can be accomplished. So, we see the first thing. Jesus commands the disciples to do the seemingly impossible. We'll read verses 35 through 37. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away 
to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Let's pause right there for a moment. The you in the Greek is emphatic. The you is implied in the verb, but it also uses the word you. It's like saying you, you. And then the verb to give is an imperative verb. It is a command. So the way I paraphrase this in English would be you... You give them something to eat. That's an order. Okay. Now, as we think about this miracle that's going to occur, I want you to remember one thing. Jesus doesn't need the disciples to perform the miracle. He could have just produced bread from heaven in the midst of the crowd, much the same way that the manna appeared to the Israelites in the wilderness from our reading from Exodus 16. But the key here is that he wants the disciples to be involved in his work and the spreading of the kingdom. Just as he wants us to be involved today in his work and the spreading of the kingdom. So he's not going to let them off the hook. Now, when you think about it, the suggestion by the disciples to Jesus seems to be both compassionate, and pragmatic. I like those things. I like to be pragmatic. But Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to test the faith of the disciples. In fact, in John's account of this miracle, we learn that Jesus said, quote, Jesus said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knows how he's going to provide for the crowd. But he's testing the disciples. I've heard a quote from a pastor that says, A faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And we saw that testing of the faith in the passage that David Ng read earlier. We saw that in our scripture reading this morning that God tested Israel in the wilderness for 40 years with the manna. And he said he did this to see if they would follow his instructions every day about how to collect the manna and how to eat it. And Jesus has already tested his disciples a little bit with the first missionary trip. He sent them out by themselves for the first time in pairs. No food, no money, just depend on the good graces of wherever you happen upon. And they end up casting out demons for the first time, healing the sick for the first time preaching the gospel really on their own for the first time. He's already started to stretch them, but now he's going to stretch them even more. God tests his people to strengthen them, to increase their reliance upon him and their devotion to him. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do here. So the question I ask you is, has God challenged you to serve him in some way that seems impossible? Perhaps he's asking you to tithe more to the church, despite a tight financial situation. Perhaps he's asking you to undertake a service ministry, and you don't feel that you are adequately gifted or prepared for that ministry, like Gwen and I felt when we were going to Malawi. 
Perhaps he's asking you to go on the mission field, the challenging mission field. Perhaps he's asking you to share the gospel to someone who seems completely opposed to God and the gospel. Or perhaps he's challenged you uh, to abandon old habits and vices that seem to have complete control over your life. Is God asking you to do the impossible today? If so, remember that God tests us in order to strengthen us. Those who successfully pass the test discover in the process the trustworthiness, the faithfulness, and the power of God. But if you're like me, or if you're like the disciples, you don't like tests. Do you like tests? I don't like tests. And you will try to avoid the tests, which is what the disciples do with the second thing in the narrative. Let's look at verse 37. The disciples reply that they aren't able to do what Jesus has commanded. Verse 37. Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. That's an order. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Let's pause there for a minute. Now, denarii was equal to about a day's wages. So Jesus was asking for about 20 days wages. Think of a paycheck from each one of the disciples. And remember, they didn't have ATMs there out in the wilderness. So the response of the disciples might have just as easily been this. This is how I would paraphrase their response. Surely you don't mean that we should go and buy food for these people. The price is prohibitive. And besides, look around. We're in a very remote location. We had a much better suggestion for you, Jesus. So can you sympathize with the disciples' response? In verse 37, I can. I certainly can. We are certainly tempted to reply to God with similar excuses when he asks us to do the seemingly impossible. But we must remember that this miracle and the miracles he's already done in our individual lives. And we have to recognize that God does not want us to fail. God will never send a test until he knows that you're ready for it. Remember, he's already begun to stretch the disciples with their first missionary trip. Now he just wants to stretch them a little bit more. God tests us to grow our spiritual muscles and to increase our reliance upon him when he comes through for us. In fact, testing is something that we should desire. Have you thought of that? In Psalm 26.2, David prays, Prove me, O Lord, try me. Test my heart and my mind. David is praying for God to test him, to stretch him. Or consider what Moses told the Israelites as they are about to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He tells them in Deuteronomy 8.15, God fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, so that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Yes, Moses realized, and we need to realize, that God's testing is for our own good. Saying no is not the proper response to God when he does test us. Although it's one 
I frequently use too much. Jesus is not satisfied with the negative response of the disciples. So what is Jesus going to do? And we see that in the third part of the narrative. Jesus tells them, bring me what little you have. We see that in verse 38. Verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Let's pause there. Imagine the disciples. Can you imagine them sheepishly wandering out into the crowd, asking, have you brought any food with you? Do you have any provisions? And looking for whatever they could scrounge up from this crowd that had impulsively run after Jesus and followed him into the wilderness. All of them come back with nothing. Nada. Except for Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. John 6, 9 tells us, Andrew said to Jesus, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to illustrate this. I brought illustration. This would have been the size, about the size of one of those loaves of bread. The boy probably had brought it with him in a knapsack or backpack type thing. One loaf. That's what that would look like. And then he also has two fish. <laughs> They're frozen. They're not stinking too much yet, Jeremy. <laughs> but these would have been about the size of the fish from the Sea of Galilee. It was frozen last night, so they haven't thawed out yet. So... Here is what the boy brings to them. This is all that they have. Now, this is hardly enough to feed the people in this room. Do you agree? Okay. But Jesus has a crowd of thousands. He has a crowd of thousands to feed. Can you imagine how the disciples feel? Now, Jesus is bound to, to follow our suggestion. Um, and the question we must ask, I like to imagine how embarrassed the disciples were as they came back to Jesus and thinking, you know, what is he doing with us here in this situation? And that leads me to ask the question, are we willing to bring to God all that we have for his service? At least Andrew, he may have thought, this is ridiculous, this is all I have. But at least he took it and he brought it to Jesus. Well, I have this. Doesn't seem like much. What can Jesus do with it? But unfortunately, we oftentimes like to make excuses why we can't um, obey God's commands. Sometimes we say, hmm, we're too busy. Maybe we're too untalented, we're too poor, or we're too weak to do what God asks us. But the problem is, are we focused in, on our own limited resources for the task that God gives us? Or 
are we focused on the unlimited resources of the creator of the universe? If we are focused on the creator of the universe, then we can and should expect that he's ready to do the miraculous through us. We need to be willing to bring God all that we have, and we should expect that he wants to test us or stretch us for our own good. And that's what Jesus is going to do. The fourth part of the story, Jesus multiplies the loaves until they are more than sufficient to feed the people. Verses 39 through 44. Mark six thirty-nine. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves, and gave them to disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So even though the text talks about five thousand men, there are also women and children there in the crowd. So the total number of people that were being fed was probably more like ten to fifteen thousand people. Now, how many of you have ever been to the Honda Center in Anaheim? Honda Center holds 15,000 people. So, here are the five loaves and two fish. You're standing in the middle of the Honda Center, and it's full. And you're going to feed that crowd. So, that's quite a feat. Now, the second thing to recognize is the, the word for desolate place It's a Greek word that's the same word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament to describe the wilderness for Israel. So just as God in the past supplied manna to the Israelites every day for 40 years in the wilderness, now Jesus here is going to feed Israel in the wilderness with bread. But here's the most important thing to realize. Um... The verb forgive in your Bible is what's called in Greek an imperfect verb. It's something that happened in the past, but it had a continuous action to it. So it means that Jesus gave bread, and he gave more bread, and he kept giving and giving and giving and giving bread to the disciples to distribute. So we don't know exactly how this miracle occurred, but here's how I imagine it. I imagine that each disciple had a basket. We know that there were 12 baskets of leftovers, one for each disciple at the end of the story. And one of those baskets would probably carry enough to maybe feed one of those groups of 50 people that are assembled. But, so here's Jesus. Each disciple would have to travel with his basket to feed group A over here and distribute the feed. Then the next disciple comes up with this empty basket, goes up to Jesus. Jesus fills it some more, and that disciple goes out to feed this crowd over here. And each disciple keeps on coming up 
to Jesus. He keeps on filling them over and over and over again. Continuously giving. So if you think that there's maybe 12,000 people there, divide by 50, that gives you about 240 trips. So that's 20 trips for each of the 12 disciples. So in other words, Jesus kept on giving and giving, and the disciples kept on carrying and distributing each bag, each basket, one at a time, with food. And then they had to return to Jesus for a refill. And, but imagine you're the disciple. You know how much you started out with. You've got your basket, and you've got your group of 50, and then you're looking at, okay, I only have 12,000 more to go. Maybe about 19, 20 more trips. You have to go back to Jesus and get more. You've got your empty basket, and you get a refill. What if, there, what if the multiplication stops? What's the crowd going to do to me? How embarrassing. How stretching. But I think that Jesus does this deliberately. Sure, he could have just like God in the past produced manna from heaven in the midst of the crowd. But he's deliberately involving the disciples in the miracle. Why? So that they could be personally experience God's faithfulness, his trustworthiness, and his power. Um, and what's amazing, at the end of the story, Jesus provides more than they need. It says all the crowd ate and they were satisfied and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Kids, if you're interested, you can have the leftovers after church today. Maybe not the raw fish. Not the raw fish. But there were leftovers. And that's how God provides. So this miracle... It reminds me of a Christmas miracle we had at my previous church, Whittier Area Community Church, back in 2009. Our church board decided that they were going to go for a stretch Christmas offering to build a pediatric hospital in Malawi, Africa, a place that God had put on the pastor's heart because of his time that his daughter had spent there and the need that she had identified. Now, the trouble was the cost for this hospital was going to be a staggering $160,000. We had never had a Christmas offering that was anywhere close to that amount. In fact, one of the elders confided to me later that they really didn't expect to meet the goal. But God had laid the need on the heart of the pastor, on the heart of the elders. They prayed about it, and they presented need to the congregation. And the congregation felt the word of God. Congregations started to bring what little they had to the offering plate. Kids started selling lemonade on lemonade stands. People started reaching into their pocket savings. People started foregoing Starbucks for a year and taking the money and putting it away. People started um, selling services like haircuts or car repairs for extra cash. And so on and so it went. Eventually, we raised over a half million dollars for that hospital. Not only was there enough for a top-notch pediatric hospital, but also enough for the hospital's operating budget for the next several decades. And in fact, a visit to that hospital is what got Gwen and I interested in Malawi in our mission trips. So God can take whatever little you have and make it more than enough 
for the task. A task that, at the time, to me and at least one other elder that I talked to, seemed impossible. Well, a fun miracle, right? What was the response to this great miracle, the feeding of 5,000? Well, there were two responses. One from the disciples themselves and the other from the unbelieving crowd. Now, immediately after this miracle, Jesus sent the disciples to cross the sea in a boat by themselves, and he went to a mountain to pray. You probably know this story. They ran into a storm, and they became terrified. And it is at that point that Jesus walks out to them on the water. And we also, that story is also in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 49, page 842 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 6, eight, uh, verse 49. But when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Because they did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. They did not understand about the loaves. The disciples had not understood that if Jesus could control the elements and produce bread and fish from nothing, that he could also calm the storms. It, they just had it, the, they hadn't quite learned the lesson of the test. And so as a result, we'll see as we go on in this gospel story that Jesus tests them again and keeps testing them. Until they learn the test, the lesson of the test, which is that we can completely rely upon God, even in the toughest of circumstances. But unfortunately, sometimes God has to test us many times before we begin to really grasp it and internalize it. So at first, the disciples didn't really understand the test. But obviously, by the time they were more mature Christians they truly understood what it said about Jesus. And that's why it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So let us not be like those disciples and fail the test of faith. Instead, let Jesus stretch your faith and do the impossible with his help. If we make ourselves and our resources fully available to God, no matter how small those resources may seem, we can do the impossible with his help. I love this verse from Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that should be our attitude. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or, to hit it home again, the way to accomplish the impossible task that God gives you is to make whatever resource you have available to him and let him make it sufficient for the task. Well, that's the word to the followers of Jesus, the disciples. But what does the miracle reveal to those here today who are not already disciples or followers of Jesus Christ? What does the miracle reveal to you about Jesus himself? For that, let us look at the response of the unbelieving crowd to this miracle. And that is provided in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, we see that the crowd at first tried to make Jesus king. That's why Jesus sent the disciples out on the boat 
in the water and why he retreated to the mountain. It wasn't his time to be acclaimed king. Uh, but eventually the crowd finds Jesus and the disciples again, and they ask for a repeat miracle. They ask him to produce bread again, produce more bread. And then it is that point that Jesus points them towards true everlasting bread. Jesus points them to himself. And we see that in John chapter 6, starting with verse 47. It's page 892 in your pew Bibles. Page 892 in your pew Bibles. John chapter 6, starting with verse 47. Now here Jesus is talking to those that truly don't quite understand who Jesus is yet. John chapter 6, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So remember that the manna, which actually is pronounced manhu, and in Hebrew it actually means, what is it? What is it? What is this stuff? It appeared every morning in the dew. It was baked into a bread and it provided just enough food for that day. Jesus is reminding the Israelites of that experience. And he reminds the hearers that their forefathers, their ancestors, they ate the manna, but they still died. Then he makes the same promise three different times in this passage. But whoever believes in him will live forever. Whoever believes in Jesus will live forever. He says that verse 47, verse 50, verse 51. Jesus offers the bread that provides everlasting life. And shouldn't we all want that? The bread is the flesh of his body which bore the sins of the world on the cross. And it's this sacrifice which which Christians commemorate with the Lord's Supper. And Jesus' words, when we commemorate that, take this bread. This is my body. Jesus' body, he bore the penalty of death for all of our sins. I like the verse from 1 Peter 2.24 that says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. To those of you who do not know Jesus as their personal Savior, consider what Jesus reveals about himself in this miracle. He is the living bread that came down from heaven and provides everlasting life to those who trust in his sacrifice for their sins. And two, Jesus is a good shepherd who cares and takes care of all those who follow him. So non-believers, you can trust your life with Jesus, the bread of life, the bread of heaven. And if you want to know more, talk to your friends that you came with, talk to Pastor Jeremy, talk to myself afterwards about how to do this. The gift of eternal life. And to those of us who are already followers of Jesus, don't refuse 
to take up the challenges God presents to you. You can do whatever God asks by giving him all that you have. And I'll say it one more time. The way to accomplish the impossible task that God gives to us is to make whatever resources you have available to him and let him make those resources sufficient for the task. Who knows what great miracle God wants to accomplish through you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good shepherd. We thank you that you are the bread of life, the bread from heaven that gave the ultimate sacrifice to feed us and sustain us. We thank you for the gift of everlasting life for those who trust in your sacrifice on their behalf. Lord, help us to have faith. Help us to not fail the test of faith. But when you set things ahead of us, challenges that seem impossible, things that are for our own good but which stretch us, we pray for your power. Help us to rely on you, to rely on your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, and your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.